You're listening to Graphic Novel Explorers Club Podcast, an audio book club. Greetings, Explorers. I'm one of your hosts, Johnny, joined by Dennis and no Aubrey. Today we are discussing She-Hulk Law and Disorder by writer Charles Sewell and artists Javier Polito and Ron Wimberly. We hope you've read today's title because all three of us have read the book, so beware, spoilers ahead. Become an official explorer by joining our Patreon group. Explorers get early access to episodes, specials, polls, discussions, and other extras. Graphic Novel Explorers Club is available wherever fine podcasts are found, including YouTube, so be sure to subscribe and leave a review. That's right, Explorers. Today we're looking at She-Hulk Law and Disorder, which covers books one through six of this particular run by Charles Soule or Sewell. Uh, and this was published by Marvel around 2014, I believe. And artists are Javier Polito, who covers books one and one through four, and Ron Wimberly, who covers books five through six. And they both have very distinct artistic styles. Yeah, I don't know where I've seen Javier's work before. It seems so familiar, but it really Me was too. eye-catching. It seemed like, I don't know, like a rock album, something like that. It's like strangely flat, but not. It's, mm-hmm. it's a weird, of the two, I preferred Ron's work more, but Javier's was definitely unique. I loved Javier's work. I This is yeah. one of the rare times where I, I paused before I dove into the book and started just flipping through and looking through the illustrations. I just liked the character designs. It was interesting how he laid out the panels. And yeah, I, I just really liked the work a lot. Yeah, it was, it was good. All the characters had sort of wide set eyes. Yeah, I, I'm curious where I should have looked up where I've seen his work, but mm-hmm. it looked very familiar. Well, and the noses were so distinct. Like yeah. even She-Hulk, who's normally portrayed as, you know, your typical basically white lady, I guess you would say, her nose just was just unique. I don't know. It was it, was, it just added a lot of character to I, everything. I'm curious how, I can't think of the character's name, the princess from the Shrek cartoons, mm-hmm. if that had any influence on later She-Hulk <laughs> because she I, I i've always seen like the 80s runs of she hulk she was basically sex pot right green she hulk and mm-hmm. the take on this was she was more athletic like thicker athletic almost like a you like a female ufc fighter you right know? i definitely think they 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 started to pivot towards that as opposed to just a much taller Victoria's secret model yeah <laughs> our artists the color artists are munsta vicente Rico Renzi and Ron Wimberly. And then the letter is VCs, Clayton Cowles. Well, you know, the, the, the way they laid out the credits was a bit confusing for me because the artists were actually credited as storytellers. Yeah. So I wasn't sure, like, wait, are these writers? I wasn't sure at first when I was looking at the credits what the heck the difference between the writer and a storyteller was. And then I looked it up and I was like, well, these are clearly the artists. So, <laughs> yeah. I like the way the book was introed. It kind of got you up to speed really fast on who Jennifer Walters is, aka She-Hulk, and how she got her powers. She was shot by some gangsters, some criminals, survived the attack by getting a transfusion from her cousin, Bruce Banner, and then his gamma-radiated blood ended up turning her into She-Hulk, but she has more control over herself. For sure. Well, you know, I'll be honest. I mean, I only know, you know, a little bit about She-Hulk in terms of what she does for a profession, 
how she operates. Most of the time, I haven't actually collected the She-Hulk comics, so I haven't delved into how she controls it. But yeah, she definitely is portrayed in everything as obviously more in control. She doesn't have the roid rage that the Hulk does. She's able to be a lawyer at the same time as being She-Hulk. <laughs> and the in, it's like the in-game Hulk. I forget what they call the in-game Hulk. Mm-hmm. Uh, is much more like this comic book She-Hulk. Right, right. Where, where they're, yeah, it's the brawn and the brain combined. Exactly. And so this story concerns Jennifer Walters' journey into starting her own law firm and re- representing her first client, Christophe Bernard, who's the son of Dr. Doom. And then the second story is about She-Hulk, along with several other heroes and villains as defendants in a lawsuit that they have no memory of what caused the lawsuit. Yeah, I was really surprised by the formats of the story. It really is more about the lawyering. And honestly, it works really well. I wasn't sure how that would translate in terms of the comic. I thought it would be like watching Law & Order and there would just be panels and panels of just objection. And that might work for a video game in some cases. Uh, <laughs> what but... video game are you, are you talking about? Oh, uh, Phoenix Wright, uh, Attorney at Law. That's a oh, Nintendo never, game. I've yeah, they, they actually have they have it for like all systems now. And you're actually investigating and you're in the court for some parts of it. But I wasn't sure how this would play out in terms of the comic, but it was great. I mean, there was very few action segments and I wasn't missing them necessarily. I, I thought I was thoroughly invested in the tone of the comic and the story, you know, uh, them investigating whatever case they happen to be on and doing, doing the court stuff. It was just fun. I was, it's yeah. fun to see this side of the, the superhero right. world. Right. It's, it's like damage control. There was a, a comic, uh, and they're starting to bring that back into the MCU, but there was a comic back in the 90s that was basically the company run by Tony Stark that is in charge of cleaning up the superhero messes. So after everyone punches through buildings, they're the ones who help repair the buildings, everything like that. It's kind of a scam if you think about it, because <laughs> Tony Stark was profiting from carnage that he created in some ways but anyway i like that kind of aspect where it's like an unusual side of the superhero world that you don't think about and uh you know once again i think i think we've talked about this before when we talked about uh falcon and the winter soldier but you know things like their salary how much uh, a superhero makes those sort of things are fascinating to me when you you try to apply some real world problems and you realize, oh, yeah, these guys don't have an unlimited bank account. They either have to have a second job. It's not their secret identity. It's their ability to work so that they can actually afford to do what they do. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, once again, you have to suspend belief. I'm obviously, I'm not trying to apply all sorts of real world problems and wonder why but, uh, Tony Stark isn't fixing them. But if you compare DC to Marvel, Marvel's always been much more about the real world issues that yes that they that their characters have to deal with you know like spider-man he had to get a job as a photographer you know to support his you know he had to go out and get a regular job he wasn't just like you know right i mean the whole thing with him selling photos of himself were because he needs the money yeah yeah (laughs) so but yeah uh, segue back to what you were saying about the action what action scenes there were you almost see what led up like them leading into the fight and mm-hmm. then the aftermath of the fight. There's very little of the actual fight in this story. It was, you know, it was just like, okay, let's just get through the fight and move on to like what she's actually having to deal with, which I thought was really refreshing. Well, uh, and then the humor 
in the fights was great, particularly the aim fight where there's two aim soldiers and they're they're deciding whether or not they want to fight She-Hulk and Hellcat. And, and she uses her her ability to argue right to de-escalate them to not just to give up. <laughs> well, and it's funny, they want to fight because they want to basically promote and they want to make more money. Yeah. So they figure yeah. this would help them out. It's not some sort of blind cult like attitude. Oh, I have to do this for you know my super powerful boss like you usually see in a cartoon it's like no they actually they have a life they have kids one of them has kids and so he's like yeah this is going to be my big shot to get a promotion essentially which is like that makes sense yeah exactly yeah yeah no it was great so our uh, our characters in this story are jennifer walters attorney at law and the she-hulk Holly Haro, a widow who claims her deceased husband's work was stolen by Stark Industries, which it turns out it was. And then Sharon King, Jennifer's landlord, who exclusively rents to metahumans and is a retired uh, mutant, I guess, or lost her mutant abilities. Yeah, I didn't really look into it much if she appeared in the comics before. It, it didn't register on my radar. But what the, the incident she's referring to is the House of M, which is when Scarlet, Scarlet Witch... Witch yeah, changed the whole world. And when it switched back, there were still a lot less mutants in the world itself. And then Angie Huang, Jennifer's paralegal or secretary, who seems to be have some sort of extrasensory abilities. Hey, hey, her uh, Angie's pet capuchin monkey, who, <clears throat> excuse me, lost my voice there, who seems to have like a restorative vomit or something. <laughs> yeah, to bring you back to life. <laughs> yeah, uh, for it brings Angie back to life at some point or, or heals her through stink breath or vomit, something. Patsy Walker, a.k.a. Hellcat, She-Hulk's metahuman friend, who I guess was in the Jessica Jones. Yeah, she was TV in show? some of those Netflix shows. She was retired from being a superhero but then came back in in this story in in, in well in in the netflix shows but yeah i don't know she much was about a superhero? her i don't remember that yeah she was she just didn't want to she wanted like leave that life behind i think oh i totally forgot that but yeah i for, you know honestly uh i don't remember a whole lot of hellcat in the end the not mcu in the marvel comic universe i know of her and I knew that she didn't really have, I don't think she even had really power powers. I think Not she's still well, the third season and then she went bad or something like that. I don't right. remember. It's been years since I've seen that. But in terms of the comics, I don't know a whole lot about her beyond like her powers. Mm-hmm. I mean, her, her outfit and, and such, but it, it, I like the portrayal of her. She felt very grounded. Uh, yeah. Christoph Bernard, the son of Victor Von Doom. And then George Sawitz, who's the plaintiff in the lawsuit that's in the second half of the story. And then Kevin Trench, a.k.a. Nightwatch. Mm-hmm. And then we get other character, like guest appearances from Tony Stark, Matt Murdock, The Shocker, and Tigra, which is like Wonder, looks like Wonder Woman's nemesis. <laughs> yeah, no, she's, yeah, she's a, a common Avenger. I've seen her before. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. It's, this was a fun, a really fun story. I, I, I went into it not expecting much. I, I'm on record as saying I'm not a big fan of Capes and Cows, but this was a lot of fun. I had a, I had a good time reading the story. You, you really felt these people were real. Like yeah. even Tony Stark, Matt Murdock, they felt more dimensional. And there weren't, they weren't the brooding versions you sometimes see in the comics. They were just 
fun and real and it was, it was just very interesting you you got aspects of their real life in terms of tony starks you you really do understand like look i'm out here saving the world and being a billionaire i don't have time to deal with a million lawsuits which he would have to deal with so he has a legal person who basically acts for him and he has a yeah. bunch of automated processes including his own stark bots to stop anyone who's been recognized as trying to you know do a lawsuit against him so it all <laughs> it all makes sense and then at this point i guess i for, you know like i said i i don't remember what was happening in the marvel universe at this very particular time period but i guess matt murdoch was disbarred from the new york bar and so he's practicing in san francisco now so. which which was a whole thing so I was like, what? Because he's people don't know that he's the daredevil for the most part, right? Unless you're like another superhero. Right, right. So Matt Murdock, as himself, as a blind man, is at the top of the Golden Gate Bridge with She-Hulk. Right. And they're hanging out. And he's not just like sitting there chatting with her. He's like showing off. He's standing <laughs> he's doing on, his moves. Yeah. yeah, he's like standing at the top of the, the Golden Gate Bridge in his civilian clothes basically and then they as they walk down the tension wire of the bridge and then they get off they're, they're standing there at the bottom where pedestrians and cars are going by and he's like showing off more and i was like wait aren't you supposed to be hiding your identity it's clearly now i'd be like oh look at that guy he must be a superhero <laughs> maybe maybe by this time he didn't have a secret identity because you have a really good point He's one of the few that did have a secret identity. You know, for the most part, Marvel characters are actually well known, you know, like Power Man. Everyone knows his face. Everyone knows his identity. Yeah. Reed Richards, they know he's Mr. Fantastic. Tony Stark being Iron Man is not a secret and hasn't been for the longest time since the 80s. Maybe at this point, he did ditch the secret but, identity. But then they go, he, and then he's like, hey, do you want to go out? And she's like, yeah. And then they get dressed up mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. go out and fight crime, which... It uh, was another interesting thing was all the bad guys that they're fighting that they show are all minorities. They're like Asian and black people. So I was like, <laughs> all right, I'm, I wonder who drew that. <laughs> oh, that's a good point. I didn't even pick up yeah. on that. That's a I good one. Like, all right. Okay. All right. <laughs> I did like that first case where she was trying to help that widow because at first, I thought, oh, this is one of, you know, Tony Stark's scientists that he took all the info from or something like that. No, it's actually a bad guy. He was a, he was a minor supervillain. So you're thinking, well, I don't want to side with this guy, but he has a family. So once again, it shows that multidimensional aspect where it's like, yeah, he was a supervillain, but he also had a family to feed and he had a legitimate case just because he, he's a bad guy doesn't mean you can just take his intellectual property. Yeah. <laughs> and, that, and that was She-Hulk's point was like, she's, he still needs to be, he has legal rights too, even though he's a bad guy. So that's why she represented him. And it turned out one of Tony Stark's divisions was run by this POS mm -hmm. who ended up actually stealing this repulsor right. technology. And so Tony ended up, they, oh, I'm about to sneeze. Maybe. I thought I was about to sneeze, everyone. So uh, basically goes to Tony and says, look, don't let's not instead of tying this up in court just do the right thing and give the lady her money and then she winds up he winds up doing the right, right. thing and settling so one thing that i found interesting was she would occasionally go back to her regular human form right but for most of the most of the comic run she's either 
like this in between stage mm-hmm. or she's like hulks out. Yeah, I don't know exactly her rationale for going back and forth because it seems like she can do it at will. That's what I understood for years that she can switch at will. Oh, okay. Uh, but I don't know why sometimes she's in Hulk form, just default being the lawyer, but then wants to be human. Like, I, I never understood that part of the character. But yeah, the lore is, is that she can switch at will. And I've seen different shots of the comic where she's a lawyer as just her normal self. And then sometimes she just wants to be She-Hulk. I don't know if it's like a makeup thing where she's like, that's what she wants to look like today. Because <laughs> <laughs> when she goes in the, the second story of the three in these in this issue or in this trade, she's representing Dr. Doom's son. I think it's his adopted son or something like that. Christoph Bernard, who is seeking asylum in the United States. What's, what's the Doom's land? What's his? Oh God. I always forget. I can't pronounce <laughs> La- Latveria. Latveria. I, I don't remember. Astoria. Uh, no. <laughs> so he, he's seeking asylum in the United States because when Dr. Doom dies, Kristoff is the heir apparent to take over the country and he doesn't want to do it. And that's her argument in court is I, you know, he's, he's going to be forced into something that he doesn't want to do. And if he doesn't do it, then they're, they'll kill him. So that gets him asylum. But at that time, Doom, when they're in court, Doom comes in and steals his, <laughs> his adult son back. And then she goes back into her regular human form to infiltrate the country mm-hmm. to try and get him out so i was like oh so she can go back to her right form she, she just chooses not chooses to not to she's yeah. more comfortable as like semi she hulk right well so, I, I would say that's full she hulk it's just she's not angry she hulk is what oh, i would say okay okay so angry she hulk is the one where she like rips out of her gear yeah, exactly. She's just bulking up because she's like angry. Yeah. And I, exactly. I like her costume. She's got like a glow WWF <laughs> yeah. wrestling boots on. I was like, oh, that's cool. I like that. And I would say, you know, they did their research in terms of the uh, illustrator. They definitely put her in some fashionable outfits in terms of like her lawyer dress. She looks, you know, very professional. Yeah, that's what's funny when she's She-Hulk. She still has like professional lawyer clothes. <laughs> like I'm going right. to court business business suits on <laughs> no it was it was this was a good book i i'm uh i've been pleasantly surprised with some of the marvel stuff we've read this season yeah it, it, it de- they definitely spread their wings on this one and allowed for a good amount of humor a lot of you know really giving some depth to the characters like one of my favorite scenes is when these demon-like things attack her office and her landlord's like, you know, look, we have to raise your rent. There's a, you know, in your clause, it says like, if you're responsible for a direct attack because the building has other metahumans, then, you know, your insurance to cover you increases. So we have to increase your rent. And for a brief moment, she drops into super lawyer mode. Yep. Well, actually, I checked your contract, et cetera, et cetera. And then she realizes, you know, I don't need to do this. I don't need to be that kind of jerk. Yeah. And then yeah. she drops it. And that, like, of course. That was, I had written down in my notes. That was my favorite part of the book too, which is not a superhero thing. That's just being no. a decent human being thing. But <laughs> it's interesting because, you know, I've known a lot of lawyers in my time and some are able to turn it off and some are not. So that was interesting to see because clearly this person has actually dealt 
with lawyers or talk to them because the whole thing with billing, billing time, all that Which, other stuff. If you, so I did the math on that. So the story starts off with her working for this law firm that she thinks she's about to be made partner, which it sounds like she was only there for like a year. I'm like, you don't make partner for after a year. So I think what you do if you do that many billable hours, I don't think so. I don't think you make partner (laughs) that quick. I I think from my understanding, you're usually there for a few years before they Mm -hmm. make you partner, at least, you know, several years. So she, she quotes that in her year of work, she did 3000 hours of billable work. So that breaks down to about she's doing she's working about sixty two point five hours per week, so she's working five days a week. She's doing about twelve hours a day. I was like, man, She Hulk was gonna burn out. <laughs> well, on top of her superhero work, <laughs> yeah. Which turns out that's why they hired her. The law firm thought that she was gonna get all these superhero rich right. superheroes like Tony Stark and Richard Reed, uh, you know, become clients of the law firm, and that's why they let let go of her. So, which was there was an interesting thing. She loses. She loses her cool, it breaks a table, and right. then they start bad-mouthing her in the community. But it turns out uh, all these superheroes wind up showing up at the end of the right. trade book because they figure out, oh, yeah, we do need legal representation. So, Yeah, the other scene that I really, really loved was her sitting down with Shocker. And, you know, he talks about like, we don't mess with the Hulks, you know, it doesn't matter. And he lists off the different colors because there have been different color ones. And at this (laughs) time, there's like at least maybe one or two different red ones, including our red She-Hulk, who's totally different. And then then he mentions Thor. And I like, you know, there is the mighty Thor, the female Thor, but he he groups all basically as guardians as Thor, which I think is like if you were that street level of a person. Yeah, you don't care about whatever you know, fancy title or name. It's just like, yeah, he's Asgardian. He's a Thor. He even throws uh, Beta Ray Bill in there. Yeah, exactly. Like, well, not exactly. A, they're not Thors exactly. And he's like, yeah, whatever. I don't. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> they beat me up. I don't care. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, that was that was a that was a funny part of the book. So. Oh, and she brings up a point that we've brought up before, where it's like, you know, Shocker, you build all of your equipment. If you just applied that intelligence, yeah towards some other career you can sell maybe... these things yeah exactly so kind of turning back to the art the the art issues five and six felt really influenced by aeon flux to me like it just, i was gonna say the same thing the angles yeah the, the angles like yeah everything was elongated their arms were you know you could tell what it was like an extreme camera shot so like an arm would look really long right i was like this just feels really in, influenced by aeon flux I, you know i realized too this book was from around the era of when Miss Marvel was published. So mm. it seems like there was a good push from Marvel to like switch up how things were kind of being done and just different sure. art styles, like unique different art styles that weren't comic booky per se, you know, mm-hmm. just like extremely big muscles and right just ripped dudes and you know costumes that were like like you like an appropriate costume you would wear. Like right. I'm not going to wear a G-string costume to go fight <laughs> you know where right. i'm gonna be knocking down buildings and shit it's like you know miss marvel wore an appropriate costume for her age and and her beliefs she hulk wore stuff that was appropriate for court and then the stuff she wore as to go out and fight was much more it was spandexy but it was like appropriate for like okay i, I need combat boots because i might be stepping on stuff you know right so i just i don't know i kind of uh Maybe I've softened a little bit on my views on, <laughs> on Capes and Cows from, from this era, this like mid-2010, 2020 run. 
I, I tell you, though, having the Marvel online service and looking through some old runs, I've read some comics from the 90s. And yeah, that I actually dropped out of comics a little bit in the 90s. And yeah, it's it's kind of a shock to see some of the artwork from that time period. It's some of it's just plain not good. And oh, yeah. Uh, and they really, you know, they people joke about it, but there really were it was almost like a parody of a parody with like extreme like muscles and weird bulky equipment and gear and just lots of straps <laughs> it's just it's just giant, bizarre giant bosoms with barely any clothes on but not even like not even like semi-realistic bosoms like the 80s no had I, some that's of what that. i mean like yeah gigantic <laughs> fake pornographic boobs but it's, it's just it's just like really bad art like i don't yeah. even know how well i don't know well we should have said this at the beginning of the episode i i that's my fault for not saying that but uh uh this is our our last episode of the season we'll be back in october with our annual halloween special and then we'll be back in december with our annual holiday episode and then we'll be back in the new next year can't even talk uh next year (laughs) we'll be back next year with a new brand new season we'll see how i feel Uh, this I did school while trying to run my business this year and I got burned out on everything. So I had to take a good portion of what would have been our normal season. And we had some major technical issues where we lost right. like several episodes that we had pre-recorded. So hopefully I, I, I need a couple of weeks to recoup and just rest from running the show. Cause there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes that you guys don't know about. So uh, maybe we'll come back early with more of the week in geeks. Those seem to be seem to be popular, so maybe we'll bring those back. But, um, but yeah, or we'll do a year in geek or a decade in geek. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe we can look back. Yeah, maybe we could time travel back to like ninety one in geek, ninety two in geek, <laughs> ninety three in geek, something like that. But yeah, just thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. And where can people follow this podcast if they want to do that, Dennis? Yeah, you could find us on Twitter and Insta at GN Explorers Club. Thanks. Please check out our Patreon. We would really appreciate your support for the podcast. It's We do this for free. It cuts into... Dennis is very busy. Aubrey's very busy. I'm very busy. Dennis has kids on top of it, which is... <laughs> I, I don't know how he can do that, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we would appreciate your support on Patreon if you can do that. Uh, but yeah, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you in a couple months. Bye! Bye! Bye.